Hello and welcome to Victoria's Living Christian Center's Victoria's Living Podcast. Victoria's Living Christian Center is a church that strives to stand for goodness and is committed to encourage and show a better way. A church whose vision is to see God's people living a victorious life. This is accomplished through community outreach, education, healthy living, and support groups while still providing spiritual growth. Our goal is to meet the needs of man, spiritually as well as naturally. So welcome and enjoy. Good evening and welcome to Victoria's Living Christian Center Gospel Bible Chat Room. I am Pastor Ruth Gardner and we are here on tonight to uh, continue our study um, on the book, The Secrets of Generational Curses by Apostle Alexander Bergani. We're going to start our continuation of this, of this uh, book, study lesson, whatever. And so we're going to have prayer and then we'll get right into it. Go ahead, Pastor. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you, God, for this lesson on today, God. We thank you, God, for bringing us together, God, one more time to speak of you, to learn of you, God. And God, we thank you, God, for just being in the pre in our presence, for we know where two and three gather in your name, you are there. God, we pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that you would speak to us throughout the course of this lesson, God. God, give us tactics in order to be able to fight against the enemy, God. Lord God, expose the devil in our lives, the devil that tries to manipulate or, or tries to lead us or into uh, misdirection or anything like that. And God, we pray, God, for your wisdom, God, for your full armor, God. Give us the armor, that God, that we may be able to stand in that evil day, God, when the devil comes against us, God. And God, we pray, God, that, that you reach out, God, reach out through the airways, God, for everybody that comes online that that watches this later if they're watching it off of a podcast or if they're watching it on any other platform god we pray god that you would reach out to them god right now in the name of jesus god and lord god let this lesson god minister into their hearts god that's that they may repent and that they may know god that, that you love them and give them tactics in order to be able to get delivered god and god we thank you god and we just pray that you forever lead us and guide us into all righteousness and we will forever give your name the praise the glory and the honor in jesus name we pray amen amen thank you pastor so um just doing a little recap we are on chapter second half of chapter three um the start the title of the chapter was a curse in the courtroom and this chapter basically breaks down um about the curse itself and, and how it's in connection with the courtroom. And one of the things that he pointed out in our last lesson is that in order to get an idea of how this curse works is that we see things legally and not relationally. Um, so the second half of this, he talks about different terminology. Um, about the courtroom of heaven. And um, before I go into that, just to talk about some other some stuff from the previous 
pages. Um, I have highlighted some things high. I want to just kind of review. Um, when when man sinned, the curse of the of the Lord was already in existence in the universe, and Satan was looking to transfer it upon God's newest creation, and he succeeded. And he talked about how um, with Lucifer, his sin had contaminated everything and caused the curse of the Lord to transfer unto everything he touched. When Satan was kicked out of heaven, he fell into the, he was down into that cast down onto the earth. He had already contaminated because of his actions in heaven that God caused him to be kicked out. His actions were already contaminated. It contaminated him. So he was down here on the earth looking for the opportunity to transfer it to someone else. So um, basically, once again, given the right situation, the right conditions, um, a bloodline, they remain in the bloodline waiting for the right conditions to be met so they can manifest and take effect. Like because of what Satan did and what was in him, he was waiting for the opportunity to, to set someone up in that same scenario and transfer what he had onto them. And he was able to trick Eve in the garden, as we all know, in the book of Genesis explains how he did that. Um, he also talked about the difference between being in custody and locked up and how when you're in custody, you have freedom, but when you're locked up, you lose any type of freedom. And um, basically when you're under a curse, you're pretty much in custody as opposed to being locked up. And the role that the Holy Spirit plays with us is that he helps us, leads us, and he guides us to make sure that we won't do anything that will cause us to um, slip up or make a mistake or anything that would trigger, you know, we avoid any type of triggers that would open ourselves up to any type of generational curses. Because what happens is, is somebody, um, like somebody before us, like our parents, great-great-grandparents may have done something and committed a, a, a a, a sin or or um, transgressed against the law, and because of that, it it causes a a curse um, to come upon them, and it changes our DNA. Epi, oh God, help me, help me, help me, help me! How do you pronounce it? Epi, <laughs> come on, John. Help Epigenetics. Me. There you go. It's modifies the epigenetics. <laughs> <laughs> modifies the epigenetics. And so it's in us. There's something that that's created or forms within our DNA. And, and it transfers down through our bloodline. And given this the right condition, the right situation, it can trigger that thing to to, to manifest. So the Holy Spirit's role is to keep us. Um, away for those situations, away for those things that could possibly trigger and causes some things to manifest. Then he goes into the courtroom of heaven. He breaks that down. And he took a quote from Dr. Monroe, Miles Monroe, and he's defined the kingdom as the sovereign rule of a king over territory or domain, impacting it with his will, purpose, and intent. 
So he talks about the kingdom, the whole room of heaven and the kingdom of heaven. So that's where he says that, you know, when you look at this to understand exactly what's happening concerning generational curses, that we have to look at things legally and not relationally. So without this view, the sequence of generation curses is nothing more than speculation and exegesis, but it's not. We are reading a legal document and he breaks down, he breaks down the courtroom makeup about the Bible is our constitution. The kingdom has its army that is equipped to protect the kingdom from being assaulted. Um, every word, a testament is a legal word. It means will. Both the Old and New Testaments are legal documents. And when we quote scripture, we are quoting the laws of the constitution of the kingdom of heaven. So there are constitution laws and guidelines in heaven, just as there are in, on earth. And he was uh, pointing out that there is a difference. There is a difference. Then he further goes into about vengeance and revenge, about how the difference between vengeance and re revenge, justice carried out that is personal is not justice it is revenge so if you go tit for tat if you take matters into your own hand and you retaliate for something that was done to you that is called a personal move it's something that you're doing out of a personal thing it's not considered vengeance but it's considered revenge and um Revenge is the action of inflicting hurt or harm on someone for an injury or wrong suffered at their hands. So you're if, if someone did you wrong and you're going back at them, like someone hurt you and you go back and you hurt them, that's not vengeance. That's considered revenge. Vengeance is punishment inflicted or retribution exacted for an injury or wrong that 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 um they're not the same thing, okay? So vengeance is punishment inflicted or retribution exacted for an injury or wrong. Doesn't matter if it was you personally affected. It was just the act of it being done, if that makes sense. When you take it upon yourself to do it, it's considered revenge because it's personal. But when something happens and um, you know justice is done or retribution is done, but it's not personally affecting, but it wasn't done, something wasn't done personally to you, it's considered vengeance. Am I making sense? Yeah, you're making sense. Okay, good. Because I don't want to sound like I'm double talking. Okay, so God takes does not take revenge. He doesn't take revenge, but he takes vengeance. That's why in Romans 12 and 19, he says, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. So, so what God does is he takes vengeance. Okay. And then the last thing he pointed out before we go into the new part is that many generational curses are nothing more than heaven taking vengeance for crimes, physical and spiritual, done by our ancestors. So, um, the example before that he she, he gives is the story about Jezebel, 
and Ahab, how Jezebel, um, Ahab wanted a piece of land that Naboth had and Ahab went to him and offered to buy it and Naboth refused him and said, no, it's not for sale. So Ahab was a little, you know, upset because he really wanted this piece of land. So what Jezebel did was invited Naboth into and invited him over for dinner. They had his big dinner. And then he, she hired or had two people stand up and falsely accuse Naboth of blasphemy. And we know that blasphemy is punishable through death. So these two people made false accusations, which caused Naboth to be killed. And um, being that Naboth was killed, the land was free and open. So the king was able to take the land. So on the surface, it looked like, you know, okay, it was legit. You know, it wasn't any treachery behind it, but God knew, God saw. So what he did was that he sought out vengeance for the death of Naboth. Now, does it, it said, does the family want revenge? Yes, family did want revenge, but the family did not take it into, take matters into their own hands. They did not uh, try to avenge his death. Um, instead they, you know, they, they let, you know, they didn't do anything. They didn't take any actions, but God did. So in this case, it was vengeance, not considered revenge. Cause if the family would have did something, then it would have been considered revenge, but because God saw it and something was done, retribution or vengeance was done. It was done through the hands of God. So it's considered vengeance. And that's what God does when he sees us being mistreated when he sees someone going through and being mistreated or hurt um, by someone and and we pray you know we don't take matters into our own hands the lord steps in and he avenges us he avenges us so um that's the difference between revenge and vengeance when it's done through another avenue besides you taking it on yourself even though it was done to you personally and you don't do anything to retaliate, but something happens, a retribution of us or some type of judgment or vengeance is done upon them. Some type of justice is done upon them and it's done through the hand of God. That's when it's called considered vengeance. Amen. So now we're going into the part where we, we picked up off. It's called the laws of the courtroom. And once again, um, um, Thinking on back and remembering what um, Apostle Pagani said that we need to look at this legally as well and um, legally instead of relationally. So he breaks down the laws of the courtroom. Um, and he said, this will be the most important segment you read in this book as it describes different, different categories of legal terms all through scripture that the average churchgoer and Bible reader have glanced over as they read the word. If you look closely at the next verse, you will see that there is a distinction in these different categories. And we're going, we're reading Nehemiah chapter nine and we're reading verses 13 and 14. And this is the King James version. Thou camest down also upon Mount Sinai and spakest with them from heaven and gavest them the right judgments and the true laws, good statutes, and commandments, and made us known unto them the holy Sabbath, and commandest them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses, 
thy servant. So when you look at this scripture, all the terms in here are related to the legal or judicial system. Another scripture he reads um, is in the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And that's Psalms 19, 7 through nine King James version. So here's some of the different terms. We have decree, uh, law, statute, regulation, commandment, judgment, and testimony and precept. So when you look at these um, different terms, these are legal terms. And he's given the definitions of the legal terms. Um, and he's also given scripture references where, where it is used. So like for decree, Leviticus 26 and 46. Um, hold on a second. I'm sorry. So yeah, Leviticus 26 and 46. Um, a decree is a formal and authoritative order, especially one having the force of law, a judicial decision or order to command, ordain, or decide by decree. Um, the law, of course, the Hebrew word Torah means teaching and direction for life and is the word most often used for the laws and principles Yahweh has given to his people for their benefit and spiritual well-being. We have the statute a law enacted by the legislative branch of a government, an act or a corporation or a founder intended as a permanent rule. Statute, permanent rule. Statutes come from the Latin word meaning to stand or as a statute which shares the same root word, literally stands often as on two legs. A statute is a law that stands. So statue, S-T-A-T-U-E, refers to uh, uh, a thing that stands, like a something that's been built and erect, a statue of someone or a statue of something, where statute, A-S-T-A-T-U-T-E, is a law that stands, a permanent rule. So I make sure you guys understand my, you know, my, sometimes my words don't come out right. So statue is something that stands like a, like something that you build and statute is a law that stands, okay? Then you got regulations, which is in Leviticus 26 and 46, an official rule that controls the way the things are done. Control of an activity, process, or industry by official rules. Such regulations are in sin if not obeyed, okay? So there's certain guidelines or... um controls like it, it helps the process of way things are done there's regulations like um you know osha regulations is something the occupational safety and health uh, association regulations where there's certain things that you have to wear like in my profession um one of the osha regulations is the wearing of protective 
personal protective equipment, also known as PPE. We have to wear masks. We have to wear gloves. We have to wear gowns. We have to wear face shields when we're dealing with blood or, or body fluids. That's the OSHA regulation. That's something that we have to, as uh, a control for, for safety for us, to protect us. Okay, so that's sort of an example of a regulation. A commandment, Nehemiah 9.13, in its primary meaning, the Hebrew word mitzvah is an expression of the will of God and includes not only an order to do something, but also the moral imperative or obligation to do it. The word command implies force or power as a command, as a general commands his troops. To disobey a commandment would be an act of insubordination. And we have 10 of them. My God. That if we, <laughs> that if we uh, disobey, okay, it would be an act of insubordination. Just want to point that out. Commandment. Okay. Judgment is based on uh, scripture reference, Nehemiah 9, 13, again, denotes the process whereby, whereby a verdict is reached or the verdict itself. A judgment is bound up with the notions of justice, meaning the righteous way of doing something. The free legal dictionary defines judgment as a decision by a court or other tribunal that resolves a controversy and determines the rights and obligations of the party. So it's decision by a court, judgment, decision by a court or other tribunal that resolves a controversy and determines the rights and obligations of that party. So when a judgment in the courtroom, when judgment has been set, okay, you know, be here by, you know, judgment, bam, 20 years, or whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, testimony, um, Psalms 93 and 5, the Hebrew word edith refers to a witness or testimony, but is normally used in terms of legally binding stipulations or laws. Um, this word refers to that witness, no, refers to that witness which confirms the truth to be so a testimony in a court of law. These are testimonies sent by God himself to verify a truth or commandment. Example um, would be Aaron's staff or the jar full of manna. So a testimony is something that's bearing witness to a law. Okay. Precept, Nehemiah 14, a rule or direction, often with some religious basis, dictating a way you should act or behave. That's a precept. Okay, so those are the different words that are used that also are interchangeable in the court of law here on earth. There's also another um, concession, which is a temporary law which is, I think was really good because I liked how he broke this down. Concessions are temporary laws established to regulate bad behavior. Once the behavior has been modified by the guilty person, the law is changed and removed. So this temporary secession or this temporary law concession is like, um, uh, um, like you're on a probation period. Like you got 90 days probation. So 
you have to do 90 days of uh, what you call a community service. And after those 90 days, if you fulfill it and you don't get a report saying that you did this or you did that wrong or you reported like you're supposed to, you did what you were asked to do, you everything was good, your probationary period will be over. A concession, an act or instance of conceding, granting, or yielding. A thing conceded or granted, acknowledgement as an argument or claim. And then he goes on to say, Paul talks about a concession where um, he's talking about the women's role in the church, which I think is so good as an example about concession, where he talk about the women being silent in the church. It wasn't a perpetual law. It was just a concession. It was a temporary law because of the confusion that was happening because they were talking while the men were trying to minister and they were trying to listen and the women were asking questions and it started becoming very chaotic. So he asked, he said, the women to keep silent and talk to your husbands once you get home. Let's get some order in the house of God. There was too much going on. It was getting, you know, chaotic, you know, distractions here and there. So that was a uh a concession. It wasn't a perpetual law, which I'm so glad because we talked about that being that it was not a permanent thing because some people today still hold this as, you know, as law. Another one he talked about was the um, bill of divorce. He's because he said that was a concession as well. And when um, and when Jesus was addressed by that, when they were talking about that, and they tried to. You know, they were asking questions to try to trick Jesus into saying something. So when they asked him about the divorce, he was like, um, he wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts because of what was going on at the time is that if they were getting married and what was happening was that they were leaving their spouses and going on to marry somebody else, get tired of them leaving, going over there, you know, and they were leaving these women um without any type of um support and so what was happening they were just jumping around marrying this one then divorcing marrying this one divorcing you know and um Moses had to put in a, a concession law saying okay the only way you can divorce your wife is if they're caught in some type of extramarital affair And that was the concession that Moses had placed in uh, place, had placed in law. Okay. Any questions so far? Any, nope, comments? Any comments? Anybody want to chime in? Feel free to chime in, Pastor John. Not really. I was kind of waiting for you to get to that part about the concessions though with the women speakers, because there are like complete denominations that kind of get together and believe that women shouldn't be preachers and women can't be anything more than a teacher. 
That's why I was drinking. I was drinking my my um my Topo Chico. Um, yeah, my cousin yeah. um, was in a church, and they and I told them that um, the Lord had called me to the ministry. They looked at me like I had two heads. Yeah, a lot of like Kojic people and stuff like yeah. that don't believe women should be anything more than a teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I told him I was a Sunday school teacher, they said, oh, that's wonderful. I said, yeah, the Lord's calling me to minister, calling me to minister. And they was like, what? I said, the Lord's calling me to preach. And they were like, uh, uh, uh. They didn't want to say God don't call women to preach. But they were kind of like, they didn't want to say, oh, that's great. It was like, oh, oh, okay. Oh, uh, okay. Well, that's great you teach in Sunday school. You know, that, that they thought was like just honorable. I was a Sunday school teacher, but when I told them I was called to preach, they were like, uh, uh, wrong answer. So, yeah. And they were from Kojic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so now we're starting to get into the nitty gritty. What is a curse? What is a curse? Somebody tell me in your own words, what is a curse? When someone's under a curse, what do you think it, it it means? What does it mean to you when you hear that somebody's under a curse? In our own words? Yeah. I want to know so, what you, you book completely aside. Get book completely aside. I would call I would call a curse somebody who is under some form of spiritual attack that is controlling a certain aspect of their life okay joya will you will you consider how would you define a curse don't say what he said i definitely try not to do just that (laughs) (laughs) what he said (laughs) (laughs) um a curse book aside mm-hmm. I that um, it's kind of hard to, it's really kind of hard to put in like words I mean when I think honestly the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of curse I think of like something like a spell mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that's good. something down to it's like a yeah, spell was something that you're bound to, like a legally, spiritually, legally binding thing, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I think of curse, I think of someone that's under a curse is someone that's bound by the enemy. That um, like they're under a, a um, like some type of bondage of, of, of um, bad, like, I'm asking y'all, I can't do it. 
<laughs> like when somebody, when I think of somebody on the curse, it's like somebody's under like some type of bad uh, mojo, you know, <laughs> bad mojo. Like it's just like, you know, it's just like a dark cloud is hovering over their lives and nothing positive is happening. Nothing good is coming to them in their lives. Like it's some type of bondage or some type of darkness is over them. When I think about somebody who's under a curse. So in Hebrew, the word for curse is arur, A-R-U-R, which carries a sense of divinely imposed bad luck or misfortune, or rather the unfortunate circumstance that befalls a person as a result of the Lord directly sending it your way. So what does this mean? It means that the curse is not a demon. Demons carry out the curse imposed by the courtroom of heaven, which I found very interesting. They are not initiators of it. They just carry out. The curse is um, pretty much a verdict or the judgment um, of what the courtroom of heaven has decided. And the demons or the, you know, demonic spirits carries out the verdict. So the devil can't curse you. What do you think about that? Don't blink my eyes. <laughs> What do you think about that? Y'all in these avatars blank staring at the screen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Does it feel like we're just like staring into you? <laughs> I, I think it's I think it's interesting. I think it makes it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Because remember, because he taught, okay, I'm going to only jump ahead of myself. Because remember, um, no, I don't want to say that. Because if I say that, I'm jumping ahead of thing. Okay, yeah. Um, so what is a biblical curse in a legal sense? A curse is a warranted verdict given by the courtroom of heaven against a person, household, or place that committed a transgression against God's law. So a curse comes as a result of transgression of God's law. Because remember, we got to look at it legally. Because remember, going back to commandment, disobeying commandment would, act, would be an act of insubordination. So anyone that's going against transgression against God's law is considered under you know you do kind of went against the law and you transgressed and so now judgment is coming as a result of you not repenting or getting yourself back in, in line you know you continuously move out of God's laws 
Because he said, not every sin warrants a curse, but there are some that will. A curse is a divinely imposed judgment that causes misfortune in someone's life. So it's a judgment. So, so a curse can come as a result of sin, but it's not automatically because of sin. Because some sins do not carry a curse, but some sins do. So a curse can come as a result of sin, but it's not an automatic thing. Understand? Mm -hmm. Clear on that? So this covers the curses that are sent by God and stuff like that. What do you think as far as, you know, people talk about witchcraft and witchcraft putting curses or hexes on people and stuff like that? I think that's another uh, another um, chapter that we have yet to get into. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, I thought about that too. Like, okay, well, what about them speaking like word curses or you know, spirits, you know, the enemy sending, you know, things. Um, to me, two things, and this is just me, because I don't know, but I hope that he goes into this as we go further into this book. Mm -hmm. But what I'm thinking is that um, those things come as a result of some form of transgression. Yeah. That either, yes, I would say, in my opinion, so we know as Christians that, you know, even though they try to speak these curses and things against you, they have no power. Right, because the scripture says but, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Correct. Okay. So I would say that it works more so on non-believers than believers, for starters. Mm -hmm. And secondly, I would I say that there has to be a legal ground for it. Exactly. That's what I said. This must have been some type of transgression of the law, either by you per se or by somebody in your bloodline. So that would allow, because of the transgression, that will allow that curse to be warranted because the transgression has not been satisfied now we know we're, we're jumping ahead of the yeah. lesson because we're going into um we're going into that but um yeah we're going into the family part but it really doesn't right. go into the, the witchcraft right. part that's why i was kind of like what do you feel about that yeah so that's what i feel Because, you know, after after honestly reading that part that we're getting ready to go into, that's why I'm coming down with the the answer, like, as far as witchcraft and, you know, divination and the, you know, word curses and stuff like that. Either there's something, either you're not under the covering, you've transgressed and have not realized it, or something that happened before that's just coming, carrying down the bloodline. Even, you know, yeah, carrying down the bloodline. So um, once again, demons are enforcers of the curse, not the initiators of it, okay? 
Demons cannot oppose a curse on someone unless they have a legal right to do so. That's what I'm saying. They, only, they have to have a legal right. They carry out the judgment that the courtroom of heaven has sanctioned. To help you understand, demons carrying out a curse is like U.S. Marshal removing a squatter who has failed to pay his or her rent or mortgage. So they have been given authority to carry out the judgment given by the court. You got a squatter in your house. They 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 need to leave. Okay. They're not paying their rent. They're not paying the mortgage. They're just staying there. They're a squatter. So you have to go through the legal system to get um a judgment for their removal. Okay. Now the judgment has been acknowledged, it's been granted. Okay. They are to be removed from your home. So now the U.S. Marshal, which is considered a demon comes and do what they need to do. They come and remove the squatter. Okay, it's like the U.S. Marshal. They can't do nothing unless they are given a, a um, judgment or given an order to do. So they've been given the, the authority, so to speak. The courts have uh, given the verdict of removal or the courtroom of heaven has given the verdict that this is what they're going to have to endure as a result of and so the demons are given the right to carry out and impose the verdict to enforce it so to speak and then he gives the example for job now we don't know what happened with job we don't know whether it's something now this is something i enjoy we were talking about Job and how, you know, this, all this happened to him. Um, now, did he say, did he do something to transgress or was it somebody in ancestors? One of his ancestors did something to, to, to uh, allow Satan to come because God did, mm -hmm. did grant Satan access and permission. But if you listen to that story, Mm -hmm. it goes into a conversation between God and the devil mm -hmm. and the devil was pretty much trying to say that you know anybody will will you know curse you and everything else and God was utilizing him as a example of a righteous man and how a righteous man will not stumble regardless of what they're going through so really, Job didn't go through his his tribulations for anything that he or his family did. Mm -hmm. God accounted him righteous even right. beforehand. Okay. So his was a very unique situation. Mm -hmm. Another example then would be the other one that he gave was about King Saul. And how we see King Saul just do all kinds of crazy stuff, transgressed mm -hmm. against the law of God, of the of God, and and he just did stuff that it was outside his scope of practice, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. You know, trying to do a uh, do offerings and all this stuff like that. So the Lord um, departed from Saul. The Spirit of God departed from him, and um, he allowed a tormenting spirit to come from God 
Now, he was a good example of somebody that has strayed and caused it to come upon themselves because he started seeing like soothsayers and everything else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So God found Saul guilty of rebellion and judged him. And the verdict was immediately given to the kingdom of darkness and the demons were dispatched to attack him. So there's other stories in, in examples in the Bible of showing this with King Ahab. Um, it said from King Ahab to Gehazi, Elisha's servant and Judas Iscariot himself. So that is what a curse is. So now what? Okay. So we know what a curse is. All right. And how demons are in relation to the curse. They don't impose it. They just carry out the verdict. So now let's look at generational curse. Generational curse is a warranted verdict given by the courtroom of heaven against a household that committed a transgression against God's law. This is pretty much the same as if a person's individual curse to just a person but instead it is against a family unit the household the only difference is that when god's it, when god is cursing a household and this is how a generational curse comes to be the judgment keeps transferring down the bloodline until the demands of justice has been satisfied that's what you was talking about what about somebody um a witch or someone, you know, trying to put a spell on you or something like that. And I said, either it's from the transgression they did or from an ancestor, because if that judgment is not satisfied, then it will continue to carry down through generations until it is. And the text says this happens unto the third and fourth generation and Deuteronomy five, nine through 10 you shall not bow down to any images nor worship them in any way, for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God, and I will bring the curse of a father's sin upon even the third and fourth generation of children of those who hate me. But I will show kindness to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So if you bow down to any image or worship them in any way, He's jealous and he will bring a curse of a father's sin. Third and fourth generation. This is different from the scripture. Remember the scripture we remember the scripture he talked about in the in the previous chapter? It was chapter, I think it was chapter one, where he talks about the um the section. Where is it? Let me go back to it. It was the weapons of misinformation. Remember, we talked about the weapons of misinformation, where he said the myths that people said it was four different ones, um, that Jesus became the curse. Um, the reason why they don't believe in generational curses is because it said Jesus became the curse, and Christians can only have generational blessings and sins of the parents sharing in the guilt. And then the other fourth one was uh Jesus proved that there are no curses, that when he died on the cross, the cross, remember we talked about that? And there's a scripture where he talked about um, 
um, parents uh, must not be put to death for the sins of the children nor the children for the sins of the parents they're deserving to die must be put to death for their own crimes that was in Kings, second kings and then he used the other scripture where it says ezekiel here it is ezekiel 18 and 20 i'm on page number 22 y'all guys want to flip back to the book where it says the one who sits is the one who will die the child will not share the guilt of the parent nor will the parent share the guilt of the child the righteousness of the righteous will be credited them and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them when he talked about how they said um shifting blame that because the parents sin the child's gonna take on the parents sin because of the parent that is not the case there was a difference from the guilt of the parent um you know that scripture and what he's saying here this because when the parent commits the, 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 the sin, it is a parent, is an individual, personal thing. But here in this case, he's talking about family, bloodline, a generational curse. That's why it's going down to third and fourth generations. Because God spoke a curse over the family. But in that particular scripture, he's talking about the parent themselves individually causing the sin and that the kids are now you know getting you know paying for the sin of their their fathers or the sins of the that's not that's not the same scenario it's not the same case and i want to point that out because when i read it i said wait a minute i thought he said and then when i looked at it deeper and read it it's in reference to the parents committing sin and the child suffering for the for the parents sin as opposed to the the parent committing the sin and the child feeling the effects of it, the repercussions of that sin. That's what they're talking about in Ezekiel. And in this case, he's talking about him, he, God himself cursing a person, bloodline, family unit. Okay. You with me? Okay, I just want to make sure we are clear on that and we understand what he's saying because he's not double talking. He's talking about two different scenarios here. Okay, because it goes on to say, um, he goes on and talks about the analogy of the rape case. Okay, and how, um, I said, let me first explain how a generational curse works by giving you an analogy of a rape case. Um, scripture has a different view than American evangelism as to why God sets you free. Okay. Scripture has a different view than American evangelist evangelicalism. Okay, there's a difference. American evangelicalism is looking at the scripture different from how the scripture is being presented. Okay, they're not looking at it deep enough to get the full understanding of what the scripture, what the scripture is saying. Okay, it's, it's to why God sets you free. God doesn't set you free because he loves you, even though he does love you. Okay, 
He set you free because the demands of justice has been satisfied. And the demands of justice being satisfied is because he loves you. Okay. Why am I saying this? Here's the analogy. All right. And he goes and talks about, let's say as a Christian, your only daughter was raped. God forbid, you know, but he says, for the sake of this analogy, let me finish. <laughs> Would you want your daughter rapist to be caught? Of course, any good parent would want this person caught and brought to justice. Why? Because your love for your daughter requires it. Any parent who sincerely loves their daughter would want justice. Does God want justice? Of course he does. Why? Because his justice demands it. Okay. Your love for your daughter requires it. But God, justice demands it. Okay. How long would you pursue your daughter's rapist? If you're honest, the answer is until the person is caught. Why? Because love never fails and it will require justice until the man is apprehended. How long will God's justice pursue this person? Well, until the demands of the justice has been satisfied. Demands of the justice has been satisfied. Because it's your daughter and you think about it, you want justice, you want this man caught, you want him apprehended, you want justice done. That's what you, that's what you were requiring. God demands justice. And he will pursue until justice has been satisfied. So it goes on to say, what if you, um, what if the rapist is never caught and you die? Would you still require justice for your daughter from beyond the grave? Of course you would, because you know, that's something that was never settled in your heart. You know, you die with that. You die. That's a lingering thing. You want justice done. Even though you're gone, you still want, you don't want it to stop because you're gone. You want justice because your daughter, you know, does God still demand justice for your daughter, even though you're dead? Of course, God, because God never dies. He will continue to pursue the rapist until he is caught. Now, why does God continue this pursuit? Because God is love and God is just. God knows exactly where the rapist is and has been at work behind the scenes and will continue to do so until he demands his justice. His demands of his justice have been satisfied. Rape is a serious sin in the courtroom of heaven and it is penalties are severe. God won't stop. Okay, so now here he goes on to say, let's say now, let's say heaven finally has the rapist cornered and is about to enact judgment for it. And many years earlier, okay, let me read the whole thing. Let's say heaven finally has the rapist cornered and is about to enact judgment for what he did to your daughter many years earlier. And at that moment, he repents for his sins 
and asks Christ to be his savior. What happens to the rapist? Does God overlook his rape? If he does, then his love for you is a believer is in question because God promised you justice. Should the rapist be forgiven? Of course. Why? Because the penalty for sin has been paid by Christ's work on the cross. The penalty of death for the sin of rape has been satisfied. He will enjoy spending eternity with Jesus. Okay. You with me? So the question I have is, does the story of the rapist end with him getting away with rape simply because he became a Christian? What do you think? I know I read the book. <laughs> if your answer is yes, because you've been trained to say yes, but truthfully, the answer is no. Though the rapist will not suffer eternal death because he repented, the demands of justice haven't been fully satisfied. Here goes the vengeance. Okay, he still has to pay for what he did to, the, to your daughter. Why not all court cases that end with a guilty verdict are sentenced only to prison time? Sometimes there are other penalties a person has to pay included with their prison sentence. Some are required to pay certain amounts of money. The same is true with generational curses. The believer is forgiven upon repenting of his sin and believing in the finished work of Christ on the cross, but other penalties require by the courtroom of heaven have to be sorted out through the Christian experience until he demand till the demands of justice are fully satisfied. Generational curses aren't a salvation issue, but rather a paying of the penalties issue. So now let's go into six ways of where you can become. Okay, now it goes on to chapter four. Six ways you can become cursed. And that's going to be where we're going to pick up on chapter four next week. So about the rape analogy, your thoughts. Let's talk about that. Do we understand what happened? Even though he repented of his sin, okay, there is still a penalty that has to be fulfilled. There is still the act of vengeance upon what was done to your daughter. Just like in the case with Nabal and Jezebel and Ahab, he was killed. Family wanted revenge. They didn't take it into their own hands, but because of what he did to him, an innocent man, there was still judgment passed to Jezebel and Ahab and the family. He cursed their family unit. That's where the curse came in. So the same thing was here in this case, until it is satisfied, 
Now let's say if the rapist never repented, but died, but he didn't, but he didn't die. How can I say it? He didn't repent, but he died beforehand, before the opportunity. Or I'm trying to think what, but how, how would it transfer to generation? If he didn't repent and he continued in that vein, there's a generational curse now because the daughters, um, what was done to the daughter still has to be, has to be satisfied. So if it didn't get satisfied through him, then it would go on to his bloodline. Am I making sense? You understand what I'm saying? Yes. It's like a debt. Right. A debt that has to be paid. Yep. Yep. It's yep. Not, uh, like he was saying about is vengeance and revenge is different. You know, you can get revenge, but vengeance is like, is like a, like a legal you can't I, I mean reading this book you can't separate the legality aspect from it mm -hmm. because it's like it's emotionally driven it's more like there's a debt that's owed that that needs to be paid and I found that part interesting because you know um on like talking about like forgiveness like if 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 a murderer or a rapist in this case repents and everything and you know god forgives them and all that other stuff it's just like so there's still something that you, you know even though god forgives us and we hear you know he forgives you and you're forgiven like oh my god you'll still make them pay like there's still a debt for that i found that to be really really interesting but once again it it it, it makes sense to me mm -hmm. yeah I'm sorry, I went on a tangent, but you know, I, I look at it like a whole legality. There's a debt that needs to be paid, you know, in spite of, you know, um, but yeah, even when, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna start talking in circles. I don't want to talk in circles, but yeah. No, because <laughs> I talk in circles all the time. <laughs> but the thing about it that, you know, as you're talking, another example that came to me was Paul, Apostle Paul. He persecuted the Jews, became an apostle. He had that thorn in his flesh. Boom. Yeah. Yep, there it is. Thank you. <laughs> so you don't have to wait to go to heaven and say, Paul, all right, between you and me, what was that thorn about? <laughs> oh. <laughs> yep, that, and when you think about it, you know, think about it. A, a penalty has to be paid. Ooh, I just got a hot flash. But yeah, so that was good. Pastor John, I know you you said, I really like this analogy. What's your, what's your take? You want to talk a little bit about it? Anything that I missed that you want to add to about the uh, analogy? No, uh, 
I mean, you pretty much covered everything that was covered in, in the book with this part. But as it continues, I kind of think there's going to be more to that as well. Because at a certain level, in my opinion, the blood is going to be applied. The wages of sin is death. Mm -hmm. So at some point, even to 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 regardless of so like this this situation you know for uh for him he wound up get uh you know dying but getting saved or whatever so that the penalty wound up going to his family but what happens if the family gets saved as well at some point that penalty would be paid by the blood because how do you break the generational curse off of your family hmm that's a good point. Um, mm -hmm. So I think there's going to be more to this as it goes on. Oh, yeah, definitely. We're only in chapter four. Oh, I know. So, yeah. Which I think is um, really, really interesting. Um. Like I said, again, I love how he's laying the foundation because it's, it's thought provoking. Every time I read something, it's like, it makes me stop and think like, hmm, that's okay. So that's how I was able to, you know, I went back to the other chapter. I was like, wait a minute now. And then I got the understanding. I got the revelation that, you know, it's two different scenarios that he's talking about. And I'm telling you, my book is all written up, highlighted and marked. I got notes and all stuff written all in this book. It's a really good book. But um, as we go on, um, we're going to see about, I don't know about any of you guys, but I have been like, <laughs> I'm going to be transparent and honest. I'm sitting here like, okay, what is going on in my life? <laughs> what curse that came down through my bloodline? <laughs> You know, I'm sitting here, I'm being honest because I'm I like, thought about it too myself. <laughs> it was like, okay, is something going well, on with me? Did, you know, that's, that's that's actually healthy. We're supposed to analyze ourselves first. The word comes to us first. Is it something that I did? Is this why this is happening to me? Because it's something, somebody who don't did something to my family. What my <laughs> mother don't did. You know, it's like, you know, you have that thought, like, what mommy don't did? What my daddy don't did. You know, so yeah, I've been thinking about it. what grandma did. Got me all jacked up. But um, yeah, but it's good. It's it's very thought provoking. It makes you do a uh, um a self-examination of yourself. But we're done. I don't want to hold this up any longer. And um, this is a very good lesson, a lot to even go back. I even went back and read the first part of chapter three. Cause I was like, let me just read this whole chapter again. Cause it's, you know, it's really, really good. Really, really good. Cause I don't want to miss anything. Cause he got so much information in this. Like even with the analogy, he talked about stuff. Um, that's why I wanted to read the whole thing because you can't, you can't not go through the analogy without reading the whole thing. That's why I just read it because it was so much in that, that he talked about that he touched on that kind of made you like think, you know, like, okay, yeah, if my daughter was raped, yes, I want justice. And if I die, I still want justice, you know? Um, and justice was served because even though he was forgiven for the sin, the curse still had to be the curse that was, that was 
placed as a result of it still had to be um, satisfied or the verdict had to be satisfied. Judgment had to be satisfied. So yeah, that was good. Okay, so at this point, we're gonna go ahead and dismiss. Uh, come on, Elder Joy, dismiss us so we can go ahead. We're gonna read, oh yes, chapter four. We're gonna read, um, let me, what was that? My chair. Hold on. Wait a minute, hold on one second. Let me just see, because what I do is I divide it. Now, there's a little part in this one for notes. Is it really? Yeah, look at page 84. Eh, eh, you can listen here and repent. So, oh, okay. Give you a chance. Okay. All right. So 94. So 77 through 94. So actually that's about a breaking point too. Is it? Yeah. Yes. It would be one more page on the back end than the front end, but so we can do up to number five. We could do the first four. And then you can list them down and then pray and then we read the rest of it. Five, six. One minute. So that's only one, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, I guess we can. Yeah, we can read that page to the 84. Stop at five, dishonor of dignitaries. And then the, the second half will read from five to the end. Yeah. So we'll be so be ending off at prayer for freedom. Um well that's a prayer. That's prayer of freedom. Where you do the you can list it says uh, what is this about ask the Holy Spirit to reveal items in your home that Maybe causing a generation of curse to get rid of them. And then you can list them here, then repent of these items, throw them away, and verbally command all demons to leave. That was um, page 77 through page 84. Is that a good breaking point? Or do you want to read to page 86? You know what? Hold on. Let's do this. This is what I want you to do. Because, uh, yeah, I'm trying to do it in half, but. Yeah, yeah. but half was kind of uneven, no matter at how half you point where you had to read five, go after that and go to read number five and stop at number six but then you like it's like i want to read six too so let's stop <laughs> <laughs> so um it's a stretch oh god what a so the question is do you feel like this list is gonna cause conversation or not 
because if this list is going to cause conversation, then that can go longer. I don't think that that is going to cause conversation. I mean, or because the list can be personal for somebody or whatever right, reason, right, right, you right. want to bypass that and just do five. Um, yeah, let's stop at five. Do five. Don't bypass it. I want you to do it. Well, yes. But, you know, we, we don't have to really discuss it on, on next week, but we could do read five. Finish. Don't. Finish five. So stop at six. So do up to page 86. Maybe 86. I might see two, number six, too. <laughs> It'd be ideal to stop at six because you got all all six of them done. Yeah, read 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 up to page eighty eight. Read up to page eighty eight because I want I want to go through the six primary ways curses can happen. So let's read the six primary ways and then we'll stop at that and we'll talk about that next week. So it's a little lengthy. You'll be all right. That means the following week is going to be very short. Following week will be short then. That's all right, but not really because look at what where do curses originate? Guardians. Spiritual high ranks, angels from heaven, causes against household bloodlines. No, it gonna be that's gonna be a good conversation. That's gonna be a good conversation. I think that one's gonna be more of a conversation piece. Not more, but it'll be just as it'll take up our time. If it's short, it's short. But I want to get through these six uh, ways. I want to read the six ways. So, page seventy-seven to page eighty-eight for next week. All right, so we got a lot of reading and a lot of stuff we can look at. So go ahead and dismiss this, sir. All right, Joya. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to read the six courses, six curses. All right, Pastor John, go ahead and dismiss this, please. I thought you told Joya to dismiss this. Oh, I'm sorry. See, I had Elder Joya. <laughs> Good to say, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not okay. Um. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, Father, for this for this class. We want to thank you, Lord, for allowing us to come together and learn some more of you, what you are doing, Father. We thank you for illuminating um, these issues that could possibly be residing in us, Father. I ask that you would continue to highlight anything in us that is not like you, Father, if there be any generational curse. Father, use us to be the ones to break those curses in our generation, and may they never pass down to those who are uh, uh, below us or, or coming behind us. Father, I ask right now in the name of Jesus that you would continue to cover us, continue to uplift us, continue to keep us focused, keep our eyes and our minds stayed on you. Father, drive out any distractions, anything that would try to throw us off course, anything that would try to discourage us, anything that would try to have us defeated, and overcome father we are overcomers by your blood and i ask dear lord that you would continue to watch over us um, as we sleep throughout the night i pray against any insomnia i pray against any spirit that would try to disrupt and cause chaos in our dreams or anything that would try to wake us up father give us rest may we stay rested may you give us peace peaceful rest and may you speak to us in dreams and visions in the night whatever you want to say to us we are open to hear from you in the night. So, Father, I pray that you continue to keep us, keep our houses covered under your blood. Let the angels 
of the third heaven continue to stand guard in our yards, around our doors, everywhere, around our cars. May the angels of the Lord stand guard and watch and keep everything out, out of the house, out of our yards, out of our territories. Any spirit that is not like you, any witch warlock that would try to astral project, any eavesdropping spirit, any succubus, any incubus, anything, God, keep it out of our homes, keep it out of our rooms, out, out and away from our presence, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that you would, as we rise on tomorrow, may we find all things well, may we be well rested in our bodies, Father, any pain that we may feel, I ask that you would heal in the name of Jesus, heal, resolve and mitigate any pain in the morning time, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, we love you. We give your name, the glory and the honor in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us on tonight. We pray that you are encouraged and inspired. If you desire to be a blessing to the ministry, you may do so by sending a love gift to www.paypal.me forward slash VLCC or through our cash app, which is the dollar sign VLCC life. We also invite you to stop by our website by clicking on the link. May God bless you and may your day always be victorious.